are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, your pal, and the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And hey, fantasy drafts are right around the corner. If they haven't already started yet, especially rookie drafts, dynasty stuff, check out the Locked On Fantasy Football podcast hosted by Vinny Iyer. He's doing all sorts of cool series. He already did an entire 12-team seven. 17-round mock draft over a a number of episodes. Um, You can go listen to that. Get yourself familiar with the draft landscape this year. Get an edge on your league. That is every single day, just like everything on the Locked On Network, Locked On Fantasy Football, available wherever you find your favorite shows. And today, I want to circle back to something that happened last week. I mentioned it, but I didn't get a chance to talk about it much, and I want to come back to it, which is Pro Football References' unofficial new sack numbers. And the NFL said that they weren't going to like officialize these numbers, which I think is kind of dumb. Um, I, they're certainly official in my heart, and I will definitely like refer to them as official. It seems like the project was pretty painstaking. Um, and this is, I, I think, as good as it gets, especially when it comes to, you know, tracking sack numbers from the, the 60s. And, you know, in times when things weren't exactly recorded as regular, rigorously as, as they were now, you know, football in the 50s and 60s, and even the 70s a little bit, uh, was a little bit more intramural <laughs> than it is right now. I mean, it was a professional thing, but it wasn't quite the spectacle that everybody had their eyes on and was, you know, digging in as deep as they were. So I think it's a cool project, but I wanted to talk about it a little bit. And specifically, I wanted to talk about the Hall of Fame case for some of the players that, you know, are now... Uh, added to this. Obviously, you know, Chris Dolman and Alan Page, they're already in. Uh, Chris Dolman, 150 and a half. Alan Page, 148 and a half in his, in, in their careers, respectively. Um, the highest sack leading player that is not in the Hall of Fame is Julius Peppers. And of course, he's not eligible yet. He, he retired in 2018. So it'll be a couple of years. But the next eligible player, the, the current sack leader among eligible Hall of Fame players who are not in the Hall of Fame is Jared Allen. And I think that especially for a career that was only 11 years long, um, I think, you know, obviously Jared Allen was was dominant for a large portion of his career. And I, I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame just based on it. But but Hall of Fame conversations, I don't know. I, whenever I talk about a Hall of Fame conversation, a, I get bored really fast. I think it's such a subjective thing that it's very so much in the eye of the beholder. And it's so much of just the kind of judgment call of the people making this decision um, that it really is only a discussion you have for the sake of killing time. But Jim Marshall is the one that comes up a lot here because Jim Marshall, you know, one of the purple people leaders. I mean, he's, you know, this Iron Man, this this longevity thing, and he's such a an integral part of the glory days of the Vikings and one of the faces that you think of. And I think there is something of a people kind of overvaluing the what could have been with Jim Marshall. Obviously, you know, he has the wrong way run. And people will kind of say, well, if just if it weren't for that run, that was such an embarrassing thing. And that's, you know, clouding the rest of his legacy. He just he would definitely get in. I don't know if that's true. Um, so I, I want to talk a little bit about the the Jim Marshall Hall of Fame case here. Well, we still have a little bit more time to kill before training camp comes in, because I think it goes to a larger discussion about 
longevity and the Hall of Fame. If Frank Gore is the one that comes up all the time, right? And of course, Frank Gore isn't eligible yet. But people will kind of argue, should he or shouldn't he be in the league? Because he's like top, I don't know, 10 or 5 or whatever in uh, total yards. But he's just been in the league for so long. And Frank Gore, good running back as he always was, was he never had any years where he was the Adrian Peterson, right? Where he was the guy you fear, where he was. So there's there's no, like, what is the legacy of Frank Gore is it racking up a bunch of volume stats over a whole bunch of good, not great years? I, I think of Philip Rivers when I think about that. You know, Philip Rivers got a lot of yards being kind of a good quarterback, but he was never one of the greats. You never heard him mentioned in the same breath as Brett Favre and, and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. And, you know, I, obviously I wasn't around when Jim Marshall was a Viking. So, uh, you know, boomers helped me out there. But it seems to me, like Jim Marshall was kind of always the other guy. He was the second guy, you know, the Ray Edwards to Jared Allen in 2009. And here's the deal. He played for 20 years and he had an Ironman streak over those 20 years at defensive end. And so that'll rack up some stats for you, even though none of his I think he only had like, what, four years with more than 10 sacks. Like he was never a particularly uh, terrifying defensive lineman. But I think we also have to kind of address what the Hall of Fame is, because it's not the Hall of Skill, it's the Hall of Fame. And I, I think that that matters. And I think the Hall of Fame, the point of the Hall of Fame is to tell the story of the NFL. You know, uh, Chris Wessling, rest in peace, would always kind of say, you know, it's, it's about can you tell the story of the NFL without him? I think you can without Jim Marshall. I don't know if you can without Alan Page or Carl Eller or, you know, Chris Dolman for a later one. I don't think you can tell the story of the NFL without those guys. I don't think you can tell the story of the NFL without Jared Allen. I think Jared Allen was also kind of iconic. And yeah, that, a lot of that is because he had a boisterous personality in the rodeo celebration and all of that. And I, that's part of his legacy, though. And I think you have to ask the legacy question. What is Jared Allen's legacy? Well, he was a terrifying sack monster for years and years and years. That was his legacy, right? And of course, you know, this like lo lovable redneck. Um, you know, what was Eli Manning's legacy? Well, Eli Manning's legacy is winning two Super Bowls and nothing else. And that's why he's such an interesting Hall of Fame case. You know, what's David Tyree's legacy? Well, his legacy is one cool play. I don't think that gets you in the Hall of Fame, right? Now, obviously, that gets a little bit harder when you start talking about, you know, offensive linemen and stuff like that because they don't get as much attention. But it isn't the Hall of Guys who got the most attention, right? I think it's a, a legacy award. And when you think about legacy with Jim Marshall, you think about two things. You think about the wrong way run, and you think about him playing for a long time. And I think there is a central question of, is longevity in and of itself Hall of Fame worthy? And I don't know what my answer to that question is. I think I probably have to think about it more. Because I can definitely see somebody saying, look, he played defensive end for 20 years, and he played through every injury, and he never missed a game. That in and of itself is Hall of Fame worthy. And I think you would have a much easier time persuading me of that for a Jim Marshall Hall of Fame case than you would trying to, to prop up his sack total. Because ultimately, with a 20-year career, with a longer career than most defensive linemen ever get, he has 130 and a half sacks. He's below Leslie, Leslie O'Neill, John Abraham, and Jared Allen, all players who are not in the Hall of Fame as well. So if we're just going off of sack leaders, there's a little bit of a logjam in front of him, and all those guys need to get in too. And it all happened over 20 years. So there is obviously the like, you know, was he really that good or was he just in there for a long time? So you would have to make being in the league for a long time inherently the thing that gets him in the Hall of Fame. And I think 
that I'm more, much more open to than his actual level of play at the time. Now, uh, the Storytime series still has a few things to wrap up, and I want to make sure that is done before the players wrap up to camp. So I think we are going to get this done by this week, by the end of this week, which means we got a little work to do. So we're going to do some story timing for the rest of this show. But before we get into that, I want to talk to you about the best tasting protein bar on the planet. Built Bar is absolutely delicious. Comes in nine delicious flavors, all of it covered in 100% chocolate. So imagine, you know, chocolate orange, chocolate mint, uh, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, chocolate peanut butter, whatever your favorite chocolatey thing is, there's probably something for you. And if there isn't, there are some specialty flavors on their website all the time. So check into BuiltBar.com every once in a while. You might see something on sale that's like a special flavor that's delicious. It is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And that means if you want a candy bar, but you don't want to fall off the wagon, it's perfect. It's low calorie, low sugar, low carb, high protein, high fiber, but it tastes like an almond joy. The coconut one does. So you can kind of have your cake and eat it too, or I guess have your built bar and eat it too. I don't know. Go to builtbar.com, promo codes locked15, L O C K E D 1 5. You can get 15% off of your next order. That's promo code locked15, all one word, at builtbar.com. So there has been this elephant in the room when it comes to the Storytime series, and that is Jeff Gladney. My rule for the Storytime series is that every man on the roster gets a Storytime feature. If they ha were not on the team in both 2019 and 2020. So that means, you know, guys that left and came back like Mackenzie Alexander. We'll get to Mackenzie Alexander later in the week. You know, rookies from the 2020 season. They weren't on in 2019. And that is Jeff Gladney. But obviously going through a storytime series feature with Jeff Gladney would come off a little weird because these tend to get a little flowery. They're you know, flattering portrayals of all of our beloved Vikings, and by design they are. I think they should be. And I think even with, you know, getting out ahead of it and saying, hey, you know, Jeff Gladney, uh, you know, he's did he, he allegedly did this domestic violence thing. It's an ongoing situation. I'm not going to comment on it. Let's just do it like he didn't do it. Like, I don't know. It would feel kind of weird to ignore the whole thing. But it also feels, I don't know, like incomplete to not do it. So here's what I'm going to do. Uh, I am going to table this. So Jeff Gladney, we're not going to talk about his storytime series or anything. Um, we're just going to kind of leave him in the shadows where that belongs until it's been sorted out and we know the details we need to know to be able to kind of process it. Uh, but next year, assuming he's still on the team, uh, and if he is a Viking next year, we'll still do it next year because he hasn't gotten as much of a storytime series treatment as everybody else did. And so if he's still on the team, we'll do it next year and hopefully we'll have a more kind of complete story to tell because this incident, domestic violence incident is also a part of his story and it would also feel kind of wrong to ignore it. I might decide to not do it next year. Also, if it still doesn't feel right to me. So instead I'm going to talk about somebody that you might've forgotten about uh, Jake Bargus and Jake Bargus actually wasn't going to be a football player for most of his childhood. He grew up focusing mostly on lacrosse, uh, and he had actually gotten recruited in, uh, St. Andrews high school, Boca, Boca Raton, Florida. That's where he went to high school. And his junior year, he was actually offered to play lacrosse by the university of Michigan. And he took it, he committed to Michigan as a lacrosse player, but he kind of talks later about how he had always dreamed of playing in the NFL, so I imagine that factored in. I imagine there's something about, you know, making a career in sports where there's just more, uh, a bigger pie to take a piece of in, in the NFL. 
Um, and look, he was pretty good at it. So he decided his junior year of high school to focus a little bit more on football, and he ended up being the 13th best tight end recruit uh, in the state by, I think it was ESPN, uh, one of the recruiting kind of places, either Rivals or something like that, um, had him as the 13th best tight end in the whole country. And so he gets a, a few offers, and he he already did one decommit, right? He went did the Michigan and the decommitted to Michigan, and then Wake Forest comes in early in the process, and he commits to them. But again, with the recruiting process, you don't sign on any dotted lines. You are not obligated to do anything. You can shake hands. Teams can, or uh, colleges can revoke scholarships. You can decommit. Um, And so you kind of get these dramatic things where you commit to Wake Forest, and then another college comes and says, we want to take you away, and they hard sell it. And that is what UNC, the Tar Heels, do. They do an in-home visit. They tell them, I would assume, about you know the program, the academics, and all that stuff, and they, they spend a bunch of time with them. And look, Jake Vargas wants to play in the NFL, but he knows the score. Nobody really makes it. You're not sitting there as a freshman thinking, I am going to make it to the NFL. I'm going to plan for that. So he even says, he's like, look, you know, you call this a four-year decision. It's kind of a 40-year decision because where you go to college, you know, has this great impact on the rest of your life. And he likes the academics better at UNC. He uh, likes the program a little bit better. So about 10 p.m. that night, UNC leaves and he tweets out that, uh, you know, sorry, Wake Forest, I'm going to go to UNC, be a Tar Heel. And actually, pretty funny, Michigan comes back a little later and tries to do the same thing, but he says, nope, I'm going to be a Tar Heel. So he goes to UNC, and he got into a few games in his redshirt freshman season as a tight end, and his first reception actually comes in uh, a blowout mode situation. So he gets into a game versus Illinois. Um, UNC is all over it, so they're kind of, you know, pulling starters And the quarterback, this is the Trubisky year. This is 2016 UNC. This is his one year as a starter in college. And he throws, hilariously, what should have been an interception. And it gets tipped up and it falls into his lap for a 23-yard strike. Turns out to be somewhat of a dagger in the game. um, And that's his first catch. He would only catch one more pass that season. And in both years after that, he would catch only eight passes. I think a touchdown or two in there somewhere. Senior year, he gets three passes. Those are not uh, very prolific numbers, and yet here he is in the NFL. He is mostly a blocking tight end and, you know, a dirty work guy. And there is something to the guy that relishes the dirty work, right? Uh, The guy that is just happy to do a job that is important, but one that doesn't get a lot of the glamour and, and, you know, one that doesn't, you're not going to get a lot of features written about you. You're not going to get a lot of media attention. You're going to go out, you're going to get your hands dirty, you're going to do something so somebody else can get the glory and you're going to go home and be happy about it. And I think Jake Vargas kind of leans into that. So he does end up going out for the draft after college. Um, Of course, he falls out of it because nobody's paying attention to a tight end that hasn't had a year where he caught more than 10 passes. Um, And the thing is, the Vikings have an interesting need. The Vikings had Kari Blossingham, their stashed backup fullback who had been poached by Tennessee the year before. This was in 2020, in the 2020 draft, by the way. So, of course, there's also the whole deal of, of, of not having, you know, a pre-draft process and all that stuff, which might have helped if he had, you know, a particular athleticism to, to show off. But, of course, he wouldn't end up needing any of that because the Vikings needed a backup fullback. They needed a second guy, injury insurance for, for C.J. Ham, and 
they lost Blossingham and they they had a need for it. So they bring in Jake Vargas and hey, look, CJ Ham learned fullback in camp. He was not a fullback before he came to, to Minnesota. So we're going to do the same thing with Vargas. So, of course, he doesn't beat out Ham for that job in 2020, especially not without any preseason games. Uh, but he gets that that practice squad stash. So he gets to be on the scout team and he gets to be kind of backup CJ Ham throughout the whole year. And he actually does get in a game and on the active roster by week 16, the roster is decimated and he, he actually gets promoted to the active roster. I think he takes like seven snaps in that game. Um, and that work and his work on the scout team gets him a futures deal where he kind of gets to try again. Now there's no, no rule, no law etched in stone that the Vikings have to keep CJ Ham over Jake Vargas. It's not quite as true of a competition as some of the others that we've talked about here. And really he's playing for a scout team deal or in the preseason. Now that you can actually play a little football on camera, you're kind of competing to pull up Kari Blossingham, right? You play well enough in preseason. The Vikings opt to keep CJ Ham. You get put on a practice squad. Then somebody says, hey, we'll put you on the active roster. That's how you get your chance. And that's what Jake Vargas is playing for right now. Unless, you know, CJ Ham could also blow a knee out and now you're the fullback. But either way, fullback. I mean, he's the dirty work guy and it's a dirty work job. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of fullback stats you can gramble on, but you can gramble on quite a bit of other stuff at betonline.ag, including things like passing yards, rushing yards, receiving yards, leaders. You can bet on uh, who will win each division. Of course, you know, NFC, AFC, Super Bowl champion stuff. Who will be the first head coach fired? All sorts of fun props in addition to the classic over-under win totals. You can even bet on week one really early if you so chose at betonline.ag. You can bet on other sports as well, men's, women's basketball, baseball, uh, reality shows, award shows, whatever you want. So head on over to betonline.ag. If you don't have an account, that's fine. Set one up. It's free. And when you actually enter your first deposit, make sure you enter promo code locked on L O C K E D O N. And you get a 50% welcome bonus. That means whatever you put in for your first deposit, bet online matches 50% in free play money and dumps it into your account. You put in a thousand bucks for your first deposit. Boom. You got 1500 now to gramble with. That's at betonline.ag, promo code locked on. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. I spend a lot of time thinking about and trying to explain how different NFL players are. If you take just the hardest working people in the entire world, as evidenced by their making it to the NFL in the first place, and you put them all in the same locker room, you get this weird culture. And Cameron Bynum embodies the best parts of that culture to such a T. He grew up in Corona, California, about an hour outside Los Angeles. And uh, he was a pretty small kid growing up. He was always one of the littler kids out there. Um, and his dad instilled this NFL work ethic in him. Had him as a Pop Warner kid. He was running hills. He was training on off days. He was constantly working to improve. And when you grow up with that kind of routine... It just in, is ingrained in you. And you can kind of tell the way that Cameron Bynum talks. If you ask him questions, stuff, you can kind of tell that this constant desire to improve is more than just a PR line, that it really is like a part of his identity, this trainer's mentality, this training mentality. Um, you know, they would watch tape together. They would work together. They still watch tape together. Um, so... Fast forward to Bynum's junior year. Unfortunately, you can't outwork short. He's still 5'8", 160. He was a late bloomer, right? So he didn't stand out. And he knew that he couldn't wait to grow. He couldn't wait for, for puberty to finish out for him to be able to get on the field and, and earn some, some looks at college. So he reaches out 
to Ground Zero, which is a training facility for young players. It's a short drive north, and he goes there. It's kind of like a football camp, and it is grueling. And I think a lot of people mistake hard work for something unpleasant. And for a lot of people, I mean, it is something unpleasant, right? It sure is for me. I don't like working hard. I would rather kick my feet up and do nothing for my whole life. But look, for NFL players, it's a little different. And it's, you know, it's hard work is like this means to an end for a lot of people. It's something you endure so that at the end of the day, you get a paycheck or you get, you know, to achieve your dream. You know, you work really hard in school, not because you like the schoolwork, but because at the end of it is a grade or a college scholarship or a good job. And for a lot of NFL players, it's kind of a different mentality. The work is in and of itself where the joy is. And Cameron Bynum's one of those people where it seems like the actual, you know, the wind sprints and the seven on sevens and the almost military schedule that he experiences here at Ground Zero, he calls it some of the best memories he's ever had in his life. He's getting up early. He likes lifting. He likes all the conditioning and he likes all the training and the practice and stuff. And all of this work really pays off because he shows back up senior season and he makes varsity and he has a good enough year to get attention from colleges. So at the time, Sonny Dykes is the head coach. He finds Cameron Bynum. He gets enamored with him. He sends a couple of recruiters and Cameron Bynum commits right away. He always liked the idea of going to like UC Berkeley and stuff. So he goes to to Cal to play for Cal and he redshirts the first year so he doesn't play at all his first year this is 2016 uh Cal and they are five and seven and they're floundering and the school is facing cuts to its program various programs so there's a lot of pressure on every sport kind of extra pressure it's almost like in the NFL how it kind of everything gets a little bit more high stakes when there's a stadium dispute with the city like local government um, and, and it seems like that pressure is kind of the final straw. So Sonny Dykes wasn't having a great uh, tenure there at Cal. That was his third losing season in four years. So he gets the axe. And now that means that Cameron Bynum as a red shirt freshman has a new staff to impress, which he finds pretty nerve wracking. He doesn't know what to expect. He doesn't know what they're going to want. But the redshirt freshman season goes pretty well. He earns a starting gig. He he is noticed for that work ethic, that different attitude, that that joy for kind of what's in front of him, that, that I don't know, appreciation of the present, I guess. And so his sophomore season, we're in 2018 now, and he's starting to get a little bit of attention, and he's starting to flirt with the idea of declaring for the draft, which he will be able to do after the 2018 season. You only need to be in college for three years. That's as, as early as he could have gone. Um, and he he starts thinking about it. And 2018 goes great. And there's all sorts of features written in 2018 about his work ethic, which is how you know he became a star. Um, And my favorite little anecdote is that he posts a workout video on Instagram, as players do a lot. But he posts his during spring break. And somebody's like, hey, you know, it's spring break. And he's like, well, why would I stop improving? What do you mean? Like the idea of taking time off just hadn't even occurred to him. So 2018 goes really well. And in the they go to the guaranteed rate bowl against TCU, and it's a wacky wild game, super defensive struggle. Cal's defense throughout most of Cam Bynum's time there is elite, and it's rejuvenated largely from the debacle that he watched as a redshirt, you know, true freshman redshirting. Um, he's a big part of that turnaround as not only a shutdown corner, but also a leader and a lot of leading by example with the, the work that he puts in. 
So he was thinking about the draft, but after the 7-10 loss to TCU, seems like there's a, a little bit of a vibe of unfinished business, so he decides he's going to go back for, for 2019. And 2019, I think it goes even better. Um, there's a lot of reasons to return. You know, you finish your degree, there's the unfinished business, there's upping his draft stock, and it does seem like he ups his draft stock a little bit in 2019. But really, the interesting part, of course, with all of these is 2020. 2020 does so many weird things to all of these kids' careers. And uh, Cameron Bynum was going to go back for his senior season. He was going to do a fifth year at Cal, and he had unfinished business. They didn't make the uh, Pac-12 playoffs in 2019. He, I think, wanted to see Cal have some success. I think he took that program to heart and that the turnaround and the rejuvenation. He really wanted to finish what he started there. But the world didn't agree because the pandemic came and the Pac-12 kind of got shut down and they moved a, a whole bunch of their games over to spring. And I wasn't going to work for a guy who was going to go out for the draft in 2021 kind of one way or another. Um, he, you know, he's got to do his, his pre-draft prep and all that stuff. So he opts out and you can kind of feel the heartbreak in it when he says like, man, I really wish I, I could have been there. I want to be there with everybody, but I have to do what I have to do here. And, you know, of course, so he opts out for 2020 and he starts the work for the 2021 draft. So he goes home. I would imagine he trains with his dad a little bit more, which he would do at Cal all the time. Um, and gets ready for, you know, whatever the pre-draft process brings. So now we know what happens, right? He's a fourth round, pick 125, he's a Viking, and now they're moving him to safety. And that's really interesting because he was a pure corner for his entire uh, football playing career, all the way back to high school. So that's a new challenge. And look, for somebody who is always so obsessed with improving and honing himself in that kind of training mentality, um, that sort of challenge can be kind of invigorating. And that might sound like this total, like, summer optimism trope alert right with like area player embraces challenge of switching positions but i don't know again i'm kind of reading a personality off of interviews and off of print and stuff so big grain of salt here i am not speaking from a place of any authority at all but it i, I just get this sense that he's the kind of person that likes the idea of a reason to get better at something like the just the excuse to try to work at something and especially in football. So I'm excited to see what comes out the other side here, how he responds to that challenge. Tomorrow is Twitter Tuesday. Make sure you get your questions in. You can send them to me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL or at LockedOnVikings. You can email them to me at LockedOnVikingsPodcast at gmail.com, or you can fill out the form in the show notes. There's a Google form if you'd rather do that. Also, make sure you check out the Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski over there covering everything going on in sports under 20 minutes every single morning. You can find that wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I will see you all tomorrow. And as always, Skull.